It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Lynch, and this is Skylines, the Citymetric podcast. You know, there's a sentence I don't get to say very often, but it's been a very exciting few weeks in the world of local government. Actually, that's not true. I, I say that's sort of a sentence all the time. That's the sort of sentence most normal people wouldn't say. But, but you know, it has been. One of the big political rows of the first, first couple of weeks of the year was the Haringey development vehicle over the North London borough's property and what to do with it. And since then, uh, I think it was Northamptonshire County Council, which is a Tory-run county council, has uh, basically fallen over due to, due to lack of money. So I thought this would be an excellent time to, to kind of survey the landscape and work out what the hell is going on. And to do that, I am joined by the uh, journalist Emma Bunnell. Hello, Emma. How are you? Hi, John. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. You've only, you've, as far as the listeners are concerned, you've only just been on this podcast because we we had the Alpha. That's and the true. Orphan. We did. Yes. But we, we, we actually recorded <laughs> that about six months ago. So it's. <laughs> but it's still as, as as relevant as ever. Yeah. I mean, particularly given what we're what we're about to talk about now. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it is sort of perennial, and that's po- kind of the problem. The problems of local government aren't new, or they're just still there. <laughs> I, I suppose the first question is like, I mean, you, you're, you're right, all these problems are long, long standing, but it does kind of feel like maybe things are kind of reaching a bit of a, a head in some ways. I think p- probably budgetary reasons for that. Yeah. But is that, am I reading, I mean, you know more, you know far more about this than I do. Am I reading that right, that we're kind of, we're hitting a crunch point? We are definitely hitting a crunch point. Um, I think that basically there are trends that have been happening over many years in local government, so um, sort of 20, 30 years, that were massively accelerated by a huge programme of austerity that, while we saw it probably affect um, national public services first, actually the biggest cuts were cuts to local government budgets. Um, There was a 63% cut, for example, in the social housing budget. Um, and, of course, all the things that, that knock on from that are largely happening in local government. So when you create an awful lot of need for social services, it's local government who have to deal with that. When you have an ageing population and the NHS is in crisis and can't um, you give them the, the beds that they need, it's social care that is, that is picking up the slack. So there isn't enough coordination between national and local services, but also um, some of the trends that we've seen over a really long time 
in local government were well hidden by a little bit more investment going in, a little bit more problem finding and solving earlier that happened under the Blair government. And obviously when the coalition came in and decided to shrink the state, where they started with that shrinkage was in the local state. I mean, this all sounds incredibly short-termist, it must be said, because, I mean, things like... One of the reasons housing is such an issue is because if you haven't got housing right, then that has a whole load of knock-on effects on, on other social problems. Whether we're talking to you know, people with drug problems or delinquency, whatever it is, it's, all of those things are exacerbated mm-hmm. by not having kind of secure and, and safe housing. And as to like the, the, the sort of cuts in, in, in broader local government budgets, it just feels like you can get away with that for a while, but sooner or I just have this image in my head of you know the bit where Roadrunner runs off the edge of the cliff <laughs> yeah. and his legs keep. Yeah. Not, not, it's not Roadrunner, it's the other one, you know. Uh, uh, Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote, yeah. yeah. Roadrunner more... never falls over. That's, no, that's no, the that's point really of the whole point of Roadrunner. <laughs> So basically, it feels like somebody assumed that local government was Roadrunner when it's actually Wiley Cody and it's now kind of in midair above some kind of gorge. This, I'm really kind of regretting this, this extended metaphor. <laughs> and, I mean, to extend the, the, the metaphor even further, um, basically austerity is the Acme Corporation and has sort of pretended there's a whole bunch of really useful tools uh, that don't cost very much money, which is why I'm guessing that a coyote could afford all the things that he got from the Acme. Yeah, I mean they're not they're not known as for their for their their wealth coyote anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean I think yes, absolutely. I wrote a piece recently for Lancet Psychiatry about um, mental health um, and the difference between the government's rhetoric on mental health and people's experiences on um, in delivery. Um, And what was really interesting was I sort of set out to, when I started investigating this piece, to write a piece saying the government are dreadful and have no idea on mental health. And that actually isn't the case, really. Both Jeremy Hunt saying we have put more money into mental health and people saying mental health services are under strain like they've never been before. Those are both true. And so Jeremy Hunt can make his case and does so quite frequently on Twitter, that he is investing more into mental health, and he's not lying at all. The problem is, is that, as you say, all those other knock-on things have an effect. So when you're not investing properly in housing, when housing insecurity is a huge, huge cause of mental health um, stress, when you have the problems that we have uh, of um, the huge, huge stresses in people's lives caused by the, D, uh, the DWP and the appalling benefits regime, then that puts an additional strain on mental health services. So while the investment in mental health services has gone up, and actually the five-year forward view for mental health is actually a really good approach, what there isn't is an understanding of the wider whole. Uh, and John's laughing at me now because I'm waving my hands around as if that's any good on a podcast. <laughs> it's, it's fine. They, they, they can't see the sort of things that I do to illustrate my points. But they, 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 I'm, I'm sure they can imagine. Great. Anyway. But yeah, so the wider whole is having a much, much bigger effect. And that's true in mental health. It's true in housing. It's true in a lot of the services that local governments are absolutely key at delivering. So you're absolutely right. It's a very, very short term cut here but invest here but actually there was no it was both short term and it just had no sense of that joined up government that we that used to be so in vogue what sort of intrigues me about this is i don't know if you've ever met any treasury civil servants but they're a pretty they're pretty just self-satisfied as a breed like they sort of they're, they're, it's the department that kind of sneers at all the other departments for not quite you know like they think, oh the rubbish over the department of health they're not like but they make, they consistently make this most fundamental error, which is to kind of cut things in the short term that are going to have an impact 
10, 15 years down the road. So the other big one is the capital budget, where you can get away with, with not maintaining roads or building new railway lines or whatever it is for a surprisingly long time. Mm. But when it bites, it bites really hard. Yeah. And it feels like we're kind of getting to that point, like the public realm now is visibly decaying in a way it wasn't in, in 2010. Yeah, um, that's absolutely... And people see it more now the people who I'm not going to say the people who the government care about but the people who are more likely to be sharp elbowed um the people who will kick off care about it and see it more now but there was the death of a homeless person outside of parliament yesterday um and now I've been campaigning on homelessness for a decade or so at least I do I spend my Christmases at crisis as the do-gooder that I am. But that was kind of an opt-in to understanding of homelessness. I opted into that world, if you see what I mean. Mm. I've never been homeless, thank God. It is harder and harder now, I think, to opt out of seeing it. You know, it's so much more visible on the streets. And that's not just true in the big cities. It used to just be a big city problem, but actually more and more people are finding this in towns. And... We are a more connected society. We do go, you know, you are more likely, if you live in a village, to go to your nearest town, to your nearest city, and see the poverty. And you know, there is also incredible rural poverty, but it, it manifests in different ways. So I think you're absolutely right that we it just starts, it's feeling like everything's coming to a head. Now, the Treasury point is well made, but the problem that the Treasury have, and the answer that your, your self-satisfied civil servants would give you, is that their job is to do what they're told by each individual government. And governments, by their nature, don't think beyond five years because they have to get re-elected. So their, their fiscal cycle will go, get in, make the cuts, have a little electoral bribe, make the cuts. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a cycle. You know, it's the problem of democracy because... You know, there's not an awful lot of other ways you can do it other than have five-year governments. And um, this is why the, you know, a lot of people say in the five-year forward view for mental health, for example, should be a 15-year forward view for mental health. But to have anything like that, to have uh, the NHS, for example, to have a cross-party agreement on the NHS, that's the only way. It has to be cross-party for anything to be done that can last longer than an electoral cycle. And we're not in a cross-party mood at the moment. Well, also, I suspect that the NHS is one of Labour's big electoral advantages. Well, absolutely. Right? Why would they give that, give that away? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you can completely say, and it's the same as the Treasury only working on five-year cycles. Why would the Labour Party give up that political advantage? Not least because last time they did that and you know, tried to work with the Tories, Tories turned around and told, called their proposals, which they came out with a few years later, a death tax. Now, why would you trust the other party to behave honourably in in that case? I mean, going back to Northamptonshire has basically run out of money, right? And this is and and the reason I think it's quite interesting it was Northamptonshire is this is not like uh, a sort of northern industrial inner city. This is this is a sort of reasonably well-to-do Tory shire. So I, I don't I don't know how well you know that part of the country, but do you have any sense of what's what's gone wrong there? Is it purely just austerity has finally bitten someone? I have to be a little careful here because uh, some of the ways that I know Northamptonshire were in my previous role, where there was uh, it wouldn't be right for me to talk about some of the things I know from behind the scenes. So, but some of the stuff that's absolutely public realm um, 
is that Northamptonshire made some very bad decisions. They were they kept council tax down for years against internal advice, saying you will go bust if you keep council tax mm. down. And again, it was this short-term electoral calculation. So it's kind of internal austerity. It's internal, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, internal austerity or internal politicking. The way to counter the austerity that was coming from central government was to slowly raise council tax. What will almost certainly happen now in Northamptonshire would be quite a sharp raise in council tax. Um, now, council tax, as you and I have discussed endlessly, is a terrible broken system. But it is, at the moment, one of the few ways local government is getting money in. And if they'd raised it year on year by the amount they were allowed to, they would have considerably more money now because that's how percentages work. As it is, to raise it significantly because of the rather badly named Localism Act, they'll have to pass a referendum because they don't have the local powers to raise it mm. anything like what they need, they'll need to. So can I just check I understand this right? Council tax raises are, are capped, right? You yeah. can't just sort of like decide one day. You can't go, it's 20% more. But, but... The, the way the cap works is there's kind of a maximum percentage increase a year. There's a maximum correct? percentage increase a year, um, which I think is 2% or 4% if you use the other 2% specifically on social care. Right. Um, I may be wrong, and I'm sure you'll get uh, uh, emails, which feel free to forward to me, um, okay. or I'm Emma Burnell underscore on Twitter. But the, 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 the point is that they have limited they have limited. fiscal levers and here. And if they want to raise it beyond that, they have to have a local referendum. And they have to win a local referendum. And people then have to go out, be motivated enough to go to their polling station and vote to raise their own taxes. I mean, that's kind of a hard sell, isn't it? It's, it's like, not. You know, I, I mean, I am, you know, as red as, as they come. And I'm not sure we, I would get yeah, myself so to that polling station. We, we, we've screwed up. We're going to fall over. Please vote to give us more money. Yeah. Or, I mean, I, I, well, that'll be fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think they'll manage but, it. But, OK, to, to pull back again... Like, it feels to me that, OK, there are specific reasons why Northamptonshire has got into trouble, sort of separate from, from the budgeting coming yeah. from, from the Treasury. But when you have a few hundred councils, there are always going to be specific reasons yeah. somewhere. Like, yeah. someone somewhere is going to make a mistake. Absolutely. Uh, and this is, this is the challenge of devolution, is that you, councils will fail. What, do you, what mm. do you do then? How do you cope with the fact that some of them aren't going to succeed? Um, I mean, we have set them up to fail. The whole system sets up local government to fail. I mean, there was the, the classic sort of speech saying, we're going to devolve the axe. Um, you know, this was a, a blame-shifting operation. Uh, a blame for austerity was largely shifted to local councils. And a lot of the fights that you see now within the Labour Party... Um, yeah, the Tories must be absolutely thrilled that that's happening because it's exactly what they what they were trying to do, which is get local people to blame the council for political decisions made as an effect of austerity. Again, this feels like quite a short term strategy, though, because when it's when it's Northamptonshire, okay, this isn't the result the Tories want because it's a Tory council, yeah. but. When it's like the an isolated case, it's possible to sort of think, well, that council screwed up. But if, as seems possible, that we're going, to, this is kind of this is the first canary in the coal mine. Yeah, then at the point where lots and lots of councils are starting to fall over, and in fact, I, I won't name them because I haven't looked into it. But someone just yesterday, as we record this, someone, an investigative journalist, sent me some figures about uh, an urban northern council that sounds like it's in quite serious financial trouble. I don't. 
if that's not true, there will certainly be others like yeah, that yeah, very, yeah. very soon. Once it becomes a systemic problem, it is harder to say, well, it's just every local government in Britain has mysteriously chosen to be incompetent at the same time. Yeah. It's going, it is still going to fall back on the national government, right? Uh, yes. Um, but I do think it is worth unpacking that, that last sentence a little bit. You know, local government hasn't chosen to be incompetent, but... Um, one of those longer-term um, trends that I was talking about is that there is not the same talent pool in local government that there used to be. And there are very, very good reasons for that. And the reasons are that there used to be a trade-off that people had. I will go into the private sector and earn quite a lot of money now, quickly, um, but I won't have the secure job security and I won't have the pension. That was the trade-off. So, or I will go into local government where my salary will be lower, but I will have a very good um, pension and I will have pretty good job security. You make those choices. Those different personality types would then suit different things, but they would be because of the people who wanted to be reasonably stayed and were happy to stay in the same job for 10, 20 years and wanted to build up a good pension part um, and you know, were happy to work within unionised workplaces, they would go and work in local government as planners or procurement officers or HR officers. All those really, really dull and important jobs that keep the wheels running. And then, for the last 20, 30 years, there has been a constant drumbeat of, you are paid too much, you are lazy fat cats, you have gold-plated pensions. Why um, is, uh, have you been in that job for 20 years? Why have you not been sacked? I think the listeners should know you're doing some excellent gestures <laughs> to emphasise your point there. <laughs> I used Which... to work in telesales, and I was once told that if you wave your hands around, it modulates your voice more. So uh-huh. it makes you more interesting to listen to. So it's all good that I'm okay. waving my hands okay, around. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But yes, so... so so many things about that world you descri- described sound alien to me. It's just the idea you go into the private sector and you don't have job security, but you're well paid and you have a pension. It's <laughs> like, you know, what? really, is that, is, was that how things used to be? 
I'm yeah. older than you, John, mm-hmm. and I, I, I can remember. Well, not I can't remember job security, but I think my parents had it. <laughs> it's, you, you once read about it in, in picture books, yeah. Or something. <laughs> but but so yeah, we, we, we the, to get back to the point, like we've had a, a generation of politicians undermining that bargain, yeah. And now there are people in you know lo- working in local government. You still have all the sort of irritants that you ever did, but you no longer have those kind of benefits to make up. Yeah, for Yeah, and we don't have the talent pool. Local government can't attract the talent pool that it used to have. Well, they don't have any power. They really. don't have That's any power. That's got to be a factor, right? That is a huge factor. They don't have any power. They don't have the job security, and they don't have the pensions. Yay, let's go take that job. I mean, (laughs) why would you? Yeah, exactly. And the problem, of course, is that we now are missing this huge tranche of professionals that could have, for example, negotiated better contracts with the private sector so that they weren't so down on local government. The local government wasn't tied into terrible PFI contracts. that end up costing them so much more in the long term. I used to write about PFI, which is, um, <laughs> sorry, this is just a little diversion, but PFI is Private Finance Initiative, which is basically, it's a bit like a mortgage, is probably a good way of thinking about it. It's like you get someone builds you a new school, a company, a corporation builds you a new school and then maintains it for the next 30 years and you pay, instead of like paying the upfront cost and then paying maintenance, you kind of pay the whole thing in kind of like a set annual and it was meant to create certainty over over long-term budgeting and prevent cutting and maintenance and so on. It was really meant to keep um, public funding off the books. It was also yeah. meant to do that, clearly. <laughs> but um, no, so I, I used to write about this for a couple of years. And one of the things I found quite interesting, going back to the, the point we came on of, like, you know, the difficulty of getting people who could negotiate those contracts, is there is a whole universe of contractors and consultants who specialise in, yeah. in negotiating these things. And because they will generally be paying their staff a lot better than the people in the public sector, anyone in the public sector who, who does start to understand these contracts and gets to the point where they are good in these negotiations is going to start to get job offers. Yeah. And a lot of them, like just there's that kind of gradient where the talent is going to seep from the public to private sectors because the money is better over there. Yeah. It is therefore exceptionally difficult for the public sector to kind of build up the same kind of negotiating expertise as as the private sector takes for granted, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some innovative approaches to this. Some councils have actually come together to form um, organisations that do procurement, take that that lack of expertise that that sits across councils and actually say, well, we've got some here in this. They've set up companies to do it um, and they do it for other councils and things. That's not wholly the answer I mean, and it's still the David and Goliath situation uh, although unlikely that Goliath will lose that, that, that is exactly what it is you, the, all the incentives are with the corporations and none of the incentives are with councils and because we have huge light touch of regulation of the private sector and quite a lot of bureaucracy in the public sector Again, um, you know, all of the all of the pressure to get it right or to to just sign up to it to snap it up is on the, the public realm, uh, and of course they want to do things. You don't go into local government to not do things, mm-hmm. and this is again where a lot of the tension is happening within the Labour Party because people who are elected to be councillors and find themselves stymied without any money, um, you know, are working with. Uh, private sector to deliver public housing um, 
And some of those contracts are good, some of those contracts are bad, some of them, most of them are probably a bit in the middle, but we don't have that conversation these days. But this is, you know, this is where the the two sides of that argument are arguing in bad faith because they're not looking at, well, why have Labour councils chosen to go off and work with the private sector in this way when, you know, I'm sure they didn't get into local government to do that? Well, you know, what were the other options? What is possible? What is available? What is legal? Um, okay, know. okay, we're going to have to do it. Harangay. Well, the, I, I, my, my, I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't really kind of... I know I should know about Harangay. It's just like, it gives me a migraine just thinking about... My, 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 my overwhelming sort of suspicion is that it is being used by both sides of the Labour Party's forever war yeah. to kind of say this is another b- battlefront in the war between Blairism and Corbynism and I suspect it's actually a lot more complicated than that and yeah. both sides are being a bit disingenuous but yeah. like so so kind of talk talk what that what's going on in Harringate talk us through okay so I don't know all of the details of Harringate um again I, I'm not a highly paid um, procurement expert so I haven't um drilled into the details in the way that they would but basically there is a an agreement with, I think it's Lendlease, to build and refurbish a certain amount of the public realm in Haringey. And I, housing has been the flashpoint, but I believe it's also some council offices and things like that. And this this comes back to the fact that if you're on in a London council, then you probably have a Labour leadership. But you probably are also your biggest asset, which you are you know legally required to make use of to yeah. fill fill gaps in your budget. Your biggest asset will be the land and the things that sit yes, on them. Absolutely. So so like there are very practical reasons for thinking we need to do something yeah. with this with this asset, right? There are, and there are huge housing pressures in Haringey and elsewhere. There's a very big waiting list, um, and there is some rundown estate. Um, and people would like their estate to be less run down. Um, regeneration has become a dirty word because it's seen as social cleansing, but it shouldn't have to be, um, and it didn't used to be. Um, so this but Surely is... the reason it is is because so many of the, the bodies that have been involved in past regeneration schemes, like the Haygate estate in Suffolk, in which I think Lendlease is, is also yeah, the partner exactly. there. Which is why you can understand people's trepidation. Yeah, people, but, you know, tenants were given certain assurances yeah. that they would receive not only similar but better accommodation yeah. and those have repeatedly been broken, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. And this is why, I mean, I, I don't come down particularly on one side or another in Haringey. I, I find it an interesting case study of where both sides are right and both sides are wrong. But I, what I do think is that both sides are arguing in bad faith. I think that it is perfectly acceptable for the momentum-led left to say, well, hang on, Lendlease do break their promises. We know this. We mm. have case study evidence. Um, and it is also perfectly acceptable for the, um, you know, for the, the leadership of Haringey Council to say, well, hang on, we've got to house people. We've got to do this. This needs to be done... Uh, this is what we were elected to do, um, and this is the way that the only way that we can see to do it. Um, the ultimate argument is probably between doing nothing now and hoping for better circumstances, i.e., Labour government, um, or taking what you can get, and it is a bad deal. I mean, I, I my sense of it is it's not a great deal. But why should it be such a bad deal? It doesn't but, have I mean, to do, be a bad deal. It's just I think this one probably. I is. mean, yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're probably right. I'm actually quite 
despite the fact that you know one of the reasons why I've been suspicious of the whole sort of Blair versus Corbyn narrative around this is of of that kind of fault line. I'm definitely on the Blair side. Like no, no one's going to mistake me for a sort of Corbynista. <laughs> But nonetheless, I think it is entirely possible, looking at the past deals of this sort, that there is more of the sort of evil corporation sort of screwing over poor people in in this kind of stuff than 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 is ideal, certainly. So I, I don't think it's at all unreasonable to be suspicious of this and to think that this is something being put around by by people with links to the to the Communist Party of Great Britain or whatever it is. You know, it's like, it's yeah. perfectly... It just doesn't feel to me like it sort of neatly falls into those two categories like people keep trying to make it. Very little does, though. That's the problem. We, we're we living in a time where we're trying to put all of our politics into a very, very simplistic us-and-them terms. And then, of course, what happens is the complexity, which is where actually the interesting stuff mm. happens, which is where the deals are made. Um, I mean... Taking it out of Haringey for a moment, look at Brexit. Because we are so staunch one way or the other. So I had a big fight with a... a yeah, I'm as, as staunch Remain as you're going to get. Um, I passionately staunch Remain. I was talking to a Brexiteer who is as passionately Brexity as I am Remain. And I said, well, look, we are ultimately going to have to compromise, aren't we? I accept that freedom of movement was probably one of the key drivers, not for everybody who voted to leave, but for enough of them to win the referendum. So I will accept that we probably can't stay in the single market as it is. But I don't think anyone voted on the customs union, or certainly not enough to win the referendum. So why don't we compromise, which would help Northern Ireland, and find that space and say, well, look, I'll, I'll give up the single market, you give up the customs union, and then we can have a nice compromisey Brexit in the middle. And I'll keep campaigning to go back in, you keep campaigning to leave, but actually, can't we both agree that that's a sensible place to land for now? How did that go? Like a lead balloon. Yeah. I mean, it was like a bucket of sick, honestly. And I was just like, well, okay, I've really tried here. I've got, you know, freedom of movement's a huge thing for me. Single market's a huge thing for me to give up. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm, I'm emotive about this stuff, but I'm trying to find a middle ground. And that's just not where politics is at the moment. We're not interested in compromises that might work a little bit for everybody. We've, we've gone all or nothing. Um, and that's true within the internal politics of the Labour Party, but it's also true for the wider country, and that's why I try to take that out into the, my Brexit example. And we're in a really difficult space because it just means that very little can be done because if you will not accept any compromise at all, then all you end up with is nothing. And what ha the problem is is that the people who benefit from nothing or the people who are hurt by nothing are exactly the people that the Labour Party is supposed to be looking mm. after. I kind of feel like we. I'm trying to think of a happier note to end on and I can't come up with one. The problem is like the obvious thing to say is so are there going to be more Herring cases? Are there going to be more Northampton shares? And obviously the answer is yes, and that's yeah. also depressing. Yeah. So what, how do we how, how do we sort of get out of this? Like, do we need to rethink how local government raises... Like, do, do, does local government need its own fiscal power to raise oh, its God, own tax yes. base locally? Is that what we... <laughs> I mean, for a start, council tax is ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's based on the value of people's houses in 1991. My house wasn't even born. Uh, born. <laughs> I'm so attached to my little baby house. <laughs> My house wasn't even built in 1991. Uh, yeah, the idea that you understand what its value might have been then is, and that that is what 
its value is now. I mean, the part of worlds I live in, East London represent, is has changed beyond recognition since 1991 and will change beyond recognition in the next 10 years as well. Um, so council tax doesn't work on its own terms, but it also just doesn't work. Um, we need much more powers for local governments to raise their own uh, money, but also much, much more interesting powers for local government at different levels to have not just money-raising powers, but to do clever and interesting things with their money, um, to invest in their local productivity, which could make a huge, huge difference. Um, and we're seeing that a little bit with, with some of the powers that Metro mayors have got, but... I mean, for example, Sadiq Khan should have control of London transport, uh, not just London transport, but the, the suburban transport, um, because that is such a huge part of the daytime population of London's lives uh, and makes such a difference to London business and London productivity. Now, London productivity is kind of not what anyone should be worrying about particularly. But, yeah, these are key things where, you know, if local government had a lot more power... Uh, and central government had a sort of guiding hand, a steadying hand, rather than a heavy-handed, you don't do this, don't do that, then we would see, I think, um, a lot better and more complex and interesting investment. Now, having said that, to make that work, you will need to go back to a place where people want to go and work in local government. Um, and it won't just be the, giving them the powers that will make that happen. It will be... Cash. Um, Cash, well, pensions. Mm. It's not just cash in hand. You know, that was always, the trade-off was always cash later rather than cash now. Um, but giving people back their decent local government pensions actually makes a huge difference to people's lives and makes a huge difference to the kind of workforce that local government can attract. So all we need to do to solve the local government problem in this country is to solve the pensions problem in this country. Yeah. I think if anything, we yeah. I, I think actually we've just made it harder rather. Than, oh no! Oh, well. I failed. <laughs> you know what else we failed to do? Find a happy note to end on. Never oh, mind. Dear. <laughs> See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.